This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Rose. Joining me for the big picture today, uh, well, a rarity, uh, Gavin Oldham, Managing Director of Share Radio, uh, is going to join me. We're going to talk about, uh, well, not just the defenestration of um, Boris Johnson, but um, the importance of unconventional people, uh, not necessarily as prime ministers, but in different walks of life. Uh, Gavin is a, a long-time member of the Conservative Party. He's going to have a vote in the eventual um, election for party leader. Um, but I think you, you've, you think that unconventional pe- people are terribly important, Gavin, I know, because you wrote this in your Share Radio newsletter just recently, which um, regular readers will have, will have uh, cottoned on to. Well, I think it is very difficult for people who have uh, you know, perhaps a more sort of um, uh, regularised and uh, uh, rational approach to life uh, to be able to accept people who do shine in a very different way. And I think uh, uh, Boris is one of those characters who who actually, uh, you know, really he sees the big picture and he almost treats the, the little picture as being you know, something which is irrelevant. Uh, and that's one of the things people find incredibly irritating. But it doesn't mean to say that they don't have a role to play. And if you look through history, you can find a lot of people who have come to grief as a result of being thoroughly unconventional, but actually achieved incredible things. I mean, uh, in my commentary last week, I referred to Julius Caesar, who, who actually lost his life because of it to Brutus. Uh, and, uh, and in fact, there have been other characters like that throughout history. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, certainly that's not saying that Boris has done everything right. He certainly hasn't. Um, uh, and uh, uh, but uh, but I think you know that it, it is a matter of getting a sense of balance, and I think the grey suits have won out in this uh, yes. case. The unconventionality, what has been referred to as his boosterism, um, presumably is one reason why electorally he was so popular. I and mean, one mustn't forget that he won uh, two terms as London mayor, and London is a uh, pretty much a sort of Labour city now. But somehow he managed to transcend um, that. Um, so electorally, obviously, a great asset, but perhaps a lack of attention to detail or ability to concentrate on some of the things. I, I'm not quite sure what really went wrong. I mean, ultimately, presumably, it was uh, you know, his assurances that things were one way when it turned out that they were uh, another. I mean, yes, many I people are rather sceptical of politics. Sorry, many people are sceptical about politicians, but, uh, but even by normal standards, he seemed to be... Um, uh, let's say flirting with the truth rather more than most. Oh, well, that's it's indeed, it's indeed true. But I think talking of those big things, you know, there are things even from his time of mayor of London, which shine through in a way of, uh, you know, that, that for other people, uh, you know, they won't be remembered in anywhere near the same way. I mean, you know, when you think of not just Boris buses and Boris bikes, but the Olympics in 2012, can you think of a, of another London mayor who has those sort of uh, achievements behind him? When you look back in 20, 30 years time, at Boris's time as prime minister, 
people will talk about Brexit. They'll talk about the way he handled, uh, you know, uh, 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 the, the virus, the biggest uh, pandemic since the 1920s with the Spanish flu uh, and the vaccine and also his, uh, his leadership on Ukraine. And, and they will have forgotten all of those, uh, you know, uh, issues of untrustworthiness, unreliability and so on. And I think, you know, that, um, uh, 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 you know, so when it comes to those uh, sort of issues, part of it is actually a mistake in his own strategy. You know, I think he's been quoted in the past as saying, I'll make so many, you know, uh, you know, sort of mess ups that people won't be able to distinguish one from another. Uh, and, and in fact, you can't go through life like, like, so like that. You actually well, have to admit to when things go yes. wrong. You have to you have to be able to, uh, you know, say sorry and move on. Well, you can't uh, go through life like that. Full stop. But to be prime minister and think like that is perhaps rather unacceptable. Um, it has been said of Boris that he he's good at looking at the big picture, not very good on on detail, but that when he was surrounded by decent advisors, one thinks of, of Eddie Lister, particularly when he was mayor of London, then later for a while in Downing Street, um, and also clearly Dominic Cummings for, for a time, that if he's got the right people around him, that, you know, his attitude can then work very well. So do you think that was a problem, that he, he, he simply was not helped by the right advisers? Well, I think he, he, he did lack the right advisers within, within 10 Downing Street. I mean, I mean, I think actually his choice of a, of a ministerial team was not bad, actually. Um, uh, not only very diversified, but very capable people. Hmm. So he certainly, I don't think, could be accused about somebody who was appointing, somebody, appointing people who were much weaker, you know, in terms of being able to deliver. Uh, but I think that, um, uh, yes, it would have helped very considerably if he had people in the team who actually, you know, uh, advised him better about what to bring out and what not to bring out, when to actually come clean on things, um, you know, and even to explain, you know, areas. I mean, for example, um, I was talking with a taxi driver last night about, you know, who should be blamed for the cost of living crisis. And immediately it was the government, you know, and, and you know, but why doesn't, you know, uh, the Boris or indeed the government actually draw the line much closer to the Ukrainian situation and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, what that's done for fuel prices and everything else. You know, I mean, in fact, in a sense, you know, by moving forwards all the time and not looking backwards and not bringing past into the future, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, uh, in a way they handicap themselves. Yes. But, th but that seems to be a problem with many politicians. I mean, when he hears from the Labour benches, many complaints about the cost of living, even though some of the measures that they actually wanted the government to enact um, actually led to some of the inflation that we've we've seen uh, yeah. i mean clearly yeah. lockdown just you know closing an economy down for for so long and starting up again has been a problem but i mean many on the opposition benches wanted a, a tougher lockdown than we had and did well, not want it to be released as early as boris did uh, yes that's absolutely right i mean i mean i think uh, that uh, you know there are clearly going to be shocks coming through into the economy uh, both from sorry, I've got a phone ringing in the background. Uh, could you <laughs> cut it? <laughs> you, for a moment? Why don't you just can you just lift it up and put it down again, or just ignore it? Keep going, yeah, down, keep going down the other end of the room. I was oh, oh fine, okay, making a noise okay. anyway. Apart just from just ignore it, we'll just keep going. Uh, to, <laughs> the noise of live radio, <laughs> right? Okay, so um, you were talking, I, you so you, you you were talking then about about um 
the, the cost of living crisis and who's actually responsible and, and the fact that you know, many politicians do not delve into the detail. I mean, you know, we're look, seeing many um, of the possible prospective um, leaders of the Conservative Party and, and of course then Prime Minister as well, talking about their response to the cost of living crisis. We're not hearing very many people actually explaining why it's happening at all. So you can understand why your taxi driver might just think it's the government's fault. And to some extent, I suppose it may be, but but nobody is explaining it. But then we don't even seem to get the Bank of England understanding why they might have actually uh, in some way contributed to it. Um, it's not no, that long ago they were, they were convinced we weren't going to have a cost of living crisis. It was all going right, to be transitory. But the Bank of England doesn't have to be elected, uh, whereas, whereas, <laughs> whereas arguably the government and the opposition have an interest in being able to put the case over properly. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure they've done that, really. Um, no. But but I mean, that, 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 as you say, is common across all the ministers. I don't think it's just Boris or anything like that. No, so, uh, it, it's slightly disquieting that we don't seem to have um, very many people in charge who actually seem to understand economics at all. Very depressing. Um, but uh, time, I think, for us to take a brief uh, pause for breath, Gavin, and then we'll discuss what on earth might happen to Boris after, after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm talking to Gavin Oldham, Managing Director of Share Radio. Um, we're discussing unconventional characters, particularly uh, Boris Johnson. We can expand it in a little while. But I mean, he's a larger than life character. He's going to still be an MP. Um, what on earth will Boris on the back benches be like? One can't imagine him getting a ministerial position in any um, future government. Um, we know from Margaret Thatcher's time that you know, having Edward Heath you know, glowering on the back benches was not exactly terribly helpful. Um, Boris, though, you, you can't help feeling we'll still have some supporters. Is he going to go quietly into the night? I don't think he'll go quietly in the night at all. In fact, uh, I think he's said he's going to stay on as an MP until the end of his parliament, at least. Uh, and I, I, I would expect that he may well come back in the future. I mean, you know, he is, he, he, he regards himself a bit in the, in the mould of Winston Churchill. Uh, and Winston Churchill did, of course, make a return after the Atlee government. Um, and, and I wouldn't put that entirely past him. I, I think it would not be wise for the next prime minister to actually um, leave him relegated totally to the back benches. Mm. He could be actually quite a thorn in their flesh if he was in that area. It might be better to have him in a sort of ambassadorial uh, minister without portfolio uh, situation around the cabinet uh, yes. and actually able to contribute. Um, but I do, uh, you know, feel that it's quite difficult to envisage a particular department uh, being his responsibility. Yes. Of course, it all depends who actually takes on that role. And uh, uh, and, and obviously we shall see, um, uh, you know, who, how that develops over the next few days. But uh, uh, some will be more inclined to have him in that role than others. Yes. Of course, while, um, I mean, members of the opposition and, and indeed many uh, foreign politicians seem to, to regard... Um, Boris's um, uh, 
defenestration with some sort of glee. In Ukraine, that's not how it's seen at all, because they think he's been one of their staunchest allies and great help in stiffening resolve among um, other Western um, countries. So if, I suppose, if he does play some sort of you know, envoy extraordinary role and presumably liaising with Ukraine might be one, one good place for him. Yes, it could indeed be. Um, that's his strong point within Europe, because obviously, uh, following the Brexit uh, situation, he, he he won't be the first choice for everyone, uh, so for every European leader. Um, but I do think internationally that he has a quite considerable respect and regard. Mm. And, uh, and I think he does have a larger global role to play. Um, I, I mean, certainly, there are some things which he is very committed to, um, which he obviously intends to continue with, uh, uh, and and one of those is leveling up, and I think that um, you know we shouldn't look at leveling up as just something within this country. We ought to be looking at it on an international basis, uh, in order to actually have a more acceptable form of capitalism across the world, and and I think Boris could actually play quite a significant role as far as that's concerned, hmm. uh, but of course um, we shall have to see how that works through. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, it's always difficult to tell with politicians whether what they say is what they really, really mean. Do you remember the big society and David Cameron? No, yeah, I do. Um, I do. And, you know, I'm sure his heart was in the right place, but he never actually delivered on it, really. Uh, not, 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 not properly. Yeah. But uh, I remember, well, I, I, I re sorry, I remember yeah. many um, articles written by Bryce Johnson when he was a journalist and before he even became an, uh, an MP. And you know, one would have thought him to be a libertarian free market um, thinker, but there's not that much evidence that that is the way he was thinking once he actually got into Downing Street at all. Um, uh, you know, on a personal level, of course, I mean, you're, you're pretty close to the root of HS2. Would you like to see the new um, PM put an end to that? Or do you feel so much money's now been sunk into it, it's just got to go ahead? I'm afraid it's absolutely too late now. You know, there's been too much destruction and too much expenditure. But I have to say, I, I have been incredibly disappointed to see how what was Lord Adonis's uh, decision, it was Andrew Adonis when he was in the uh, Labour government back in the uh, first decade of the millennium, uh, who actually brought in HS2. I mean, Dave Cameron could have turned it down. You know, um, uh, 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 Theresa May could have turned it down, but I think now it's just too late. You know, it, it's gone too far. But I do believe it is one of the things which has cost a huge number of conservative votes. I mean, in my own personal area, which is uh, uh, the Chesham uh, uh, constituency, uh, that was one of the safest conservative seats in the country and was lost to Sarah Green, who's a Liberal Democrat. And, um, you know, uh, and I think HS2 was primarily responsible for that. And, and you could look at a swathe of constituencies yes. up the country who have seen that sort of loss. I think it was a, you know, I mean, what I would like to see is double-decker trains. You know, uh, you need more capacity on the trains. You know, the Europeans have shown us how to do it, make them double-decker. Yes. And, yes. you know, uh, the Germans have come up with a design which is suitable for our narrow-gauge rail railways. Uh, so, so we should use it and not spend £100 billion on doing But as you say, yes. it's too late. Too late. Yes, unfortunately, too late. Politicians do seem to like the you know, massive um, uh, infrastructure spending, which doesn't necessarily prove to be terribly um, sensible. Um, let's go back, though, to, to, to how we started this talk about unconventional people. And you were talking about how the suits had, had got Boris. And I suppose one of the things about unconventional people is that they can cut through groupthink. 
And the problem often in society, I feel, is that people get used to thinking a particular way, assume that is the right way, and trying to get them to change is incredibly difficult. And um, you quote in your um, uh, your newsletter um, the example of, of your own entrepreneurship and how if everybody had been you know, very conventional, um, then those cautious people, the people so interested in things like compliance, then you know, the, the business might not have succeeded in the first place. Yes, that's right. I, I, I mean, actually, when I, when I started the Share Centre, uh, which was over 30 years ago now, um, there were tremendous opportunities with the privatisation programme. Uh, there was a major problem in that the government was very inclined to use the big banks and ShareLink only uh, and would refuse to allow access in a wider thing. We actually had to get out there and bang the drum hard and uh you know we had to take the risks and i know that if i'd had you know uh, a team of people who were very much uh, uh looking over their shoulder as to what everybody else thought um you know that we would have found it very very difficult uh to make that early progress uh, uh you know a lot of businesses start with uh, you know some business that they've either acquired or, mm. or or brought in from somewhere else we didn't have that we had a clean sheet of paper and so we literally had to start from ground zero. And it's very, very hard work to do that uh, if you are compliance driven, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, completely ordered by uh, rationality. I mean, I have to say that, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things which the FCA has made quite difficult for new people, for, you know, for, for, for people starting new businesses uh in uh financial services these days um but uh you know uh, um it, it was good to have the opportunity i did have some people working with me who were prepared to stick their neck and necks out um you know um some did have some of the flaws that boris had uh but actually you know you have to you have to learn to work and to control with those and and i i appreciate that it's easier to do that as chief executive uh, than it is, you know, um, uh, 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 basically when you are prime minister in that role. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, you do need characters who can stand head and shoulders above the crowd and and actually say, come on, let's go for it, you know, uh, because there's a lot to be gone for. You, now, you said that was about 30 years ago. Do you feel, uh, not just with regards to organisations like the FCA, but do you not feel that life has become more interventionist, that more people seem to think the government must intervene absolutely everywhere and that as a result that you know is perhaps one of the reasons that are we have this productivity problem in the in the uk and perhaps don't admire entrepreneurship as much as we ought to well Simon, i think you're absolutely right about that yes um I, I, you know we see it very much in the banking field too i mean you know uh, nobody listening to this program uh, will be uh, surprised uh, to hear about the incredible levels of uh, bureaucracy you have to go through. Even, you know, um, perfectly, you know, sane people who've lived in the UK all their lives being asked where their source of money comes from, which is clearly something which has been brought in to sort out money laundering. Uh, very important it's there. But I wonder whether the uh, oligarchs will get this quite, so quite the same treatment. Yes. You know, but I, but I do think in many, many walks of life, you know, we are driven by bureaucracy and by regulation at the moment. And it's one of the things which people find so, uh, you know, obnoxious, really, about the way the European Union is actually run by regulators and not by people who are voted in by, by the general public, you know. Uh, We've heard from several ministers and, and ex-ministers, sometimes directly, sometimes 
just reported upon. They they have difficult getting policy through because the civil service can sometimes just dig its heels in and not want to, to change the way they're going to do. We've had several um, uh, prime ministers claim that they're going to start slashing red tape, um, but it doesn't ever seem to happen. It only ever seems to get more prevalent and to strangle us all you know, more every single passing year. Is there a way ever of rolling bureaucracy back? Well, Margaret Thatcher was very familiar with that too. I, I think one of her favourite programmes was the Yes Minister programme, which uh, yes. was exactly that, uh, uh, you know, task and challenge. Uh, and, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that the um, uh, key players in the civil service do understand that risk. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, there is a bit of a bit of danger of this. But I think that the issue about really um, holding back productivity and, and initiative and uh, an enterprise is, is a much deeper problem than the civil service. It goes into the whole sort of uh, heart of the idea of regulating left, right and center for everything. And, and it's something we do need to roll back on and deregulate quite a bit more. I, I mean, actually, I'm not so worried about product productivity as uh, uh, you know might appear to be the case uh, if, if you read the general you know so economic comment. I, I do think that the extent of uh, you know the uh, technology revolution has actually made the productivity situation look worse than it is yes. because technology tends to demonetize demand um, uh, 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 and it increases immense scalability and supply. Yes, and, and isn't because, easily measurable in the statistics either, is it? Yeah, the thing is that productivity, when we measure it as a financial economic GDP thing, you know, um, it, it, you know, it doesn't really speak for the quality of life. It speaks, you know, uh, uh, just really for how much we spend, um, you know, and, you know, if you have a meeting by Zoom, it can be incredibly productive, uh, but it, it presents nothing to GDP, whereas if you have people traveling all the way across the country for hundreds of miles mm. to have that meeting, you know, you, you contribute a lot to GDP, but actually in, in the general benefit to thing, you don't, you don't bring in yes. anything at all. Oh, but of course, if you're on HS2, you can be working all the time. And that's, uh, yes, sorry, slightly tongue in cheek. Um, can I just roll back to when you were talking about Yes Minister? There's a wonderful anecdote. I used to know somebody whose brother worked for Jock, Jock Bruce Guardian when he was Chief Secretary to the Treasury. Um, and they were at Chequers one um one time and he went to the loo while yes minister was on the television came back and he could hear both the politicians and the civil servants who were watching in different rooms laughing uproariously but they were laughing at different bits the politicians <laughs> were laughing at entirely different bits than the civil servants were which i think is absolutely wonderful yeah, 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 I tell you something, Simon. I mean, watch out for this because somebody is going to produce a cracking good film about Boris and all of this, you know, experience of the last two or three years. Uh, and and it is going to be it is going to be a blockbuster when it comes out. I'm quite sure uh, because you know it's an amazing story to tell, and uh, uh, and and I think we'll get a lot of insights from that. Uh, and I have to say, you as a film buff, you know. Uh, you will be watching out for it. I know you will be. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I will. Gavin, thank you very much indeed. I've been talking to Gavin Oldham, Managing Director of Share Radio, um, who will, in due course, be actually voting for the leader of the Conservative Party and our new Prime Minister. I won't ask you who you want, Gavin. Probably that's a little unfair, but also because things are happening quite quickly this time, it could be out of date very, very soon. But thank you very much indeed. That's it for the bigger picture uh, for this time. Uh, 
I'll be back talking to Mike Indian at this time next week. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.